Hey guys, this is Krida Talks, and today we have uh, Karan uh, and uh, Nimish. Nimish is the India lead for uh, Fanatic, and Karan is the co-founder for Firescore Interactive. Welcome, guys. Hey guys, great to be here. And uh, <laughs> no prizes for guessing what we're talking about today, right? Esports and gaming in general. So uh, let's dive right into it. Uh, I think there's a question that a lot of people today in the industry. Uh, have which is what exactly is esports so uh, esports in simple words is just competitive video games uh, so anything that can be turned into a competitive aspect of a tournament by the community and can be presented as a sport is kind of termed as esport uh, that's why Candy Crush is not eSport <laughs> and, and PUBG Mobile is, oh, yes. you know. What if you're competing at Candy Crush? Uh, it's still not eSport because it doesn't have the elements of teamwork, it doesn't have the elements of a coach, yeah, it, it's, it's, the skill sets after a point don't really matter and I think that's where eSports kind of differs from casual gaming in a way, but, I see. Yeah. If you're calling it eSports, if you're calling them e-athletes, what is the defining factor, you know, the differentiating factor between them and say a casual gamer like me or him? I think the difference, fact, the difference is definitely the number of hours that they practice. Uh, so as an e-sports athlete, you pretty much have 14 to 15 hours of your life dedicated to the sport, uh, which I don't think a casual gamer does. Uh, secondly, yeah, and secondly, a casual gamer normally has six or seven titles that they kind of mess around with all the time yeah, yeah. whereas an esports athlete normally major only in one title and they pretty much play that game forever uh, unless something they're doing like just for fun every now and then playing some other game but right. majority of the time you spend only on one game so we, we use the word athlete right uh, esports athletes in general go against every understanding we have of a traditional athlete mm -hmm. right and we've had an indian guy go up to the asian games and uh, yeah. win a medal as well so are there any so you said you know so esports athletes are looking at 14 to 15 hours of training every day yeah. is it just training to be better at the game or are we also looking at physical training well i mean say it depends right i would say do you call a chess player an athlete of course you do hmm. you know do you ever question whether a chess guy goes to the gym you don't you know, so uh, I think this this whole idea of questioning what defines an athlete, I think we should leave it up to the athletes to be very honest or to the industry. Uh, if you look at my players, I think all of them are fairly fit. Uh, they don't necessarily have a fitness regime right now, but they do realize that as and when they start getting older, uh, they need to have certain physical movements to make sure that their necks don't give up, their back doesn't give up. So the, the requirement of the physical aspect is extremely different. So it's more for from a mobilizing perspective than trying to make it stronger uh, because the strength doesn't really play a big role uh, from a visual perspective. But at the back end, if you don't have a strong neck, you cannot sustain 14 hours a day. If you don't have a strong back, you cannot sit and play for 14 hours a day. So fitness, of course, is right in the center of it. Uh, these are younger athletes, so yes. as of right now, you don't really see the fatigue or the, uh, or the, or the physical pain that they go through. But I've, I've been fortunate to work with older athletes as well within the world of esports and 
uh, a lot of them towards the end towards the later half of their career uh, had a fitness coach they had a nutritionist uh, so they also realized that you know if they want to play longer they need to stay fit uh, so but yeah this whole idea of does physical running around qualify as an athlete and if you don't run around <laughs> no, it's, I mean, it's just man right? yeah it's i think it's just it's just jealousy ट्रेन and improve at the various aspects of the game in order to even just get to say three divisions above yeah and that is the kind of training that is actually required in these sports and i can't it must be extremely oh, good for athletes so it, it is it is proper it is and rocket league is e sports so rocket league is rocket league is e sports yes i mean the only game i play on my phone religiously is dragon ball legends and i have noticed that even is borderline sport if you wanted to but, but even there you need a certain skill level sort of not just yeah. for something like you know a pubg or the team work is important oh man yeah probably better quality sport you have definitely so ikkaran you have hung around with athletes okay i know your partner was an ex esports athlete yeah, he right we uh, captain we represented india hmm. captain team at dota back in 2010 i think so with your experience of that space and currently you're in the hyper casual game development publishing market yeah would you say your audience that plays games say like a flapbird that you have okay or a cutting soap and if they're spending say around 3 4 hours in a day doing that how big is the gap between them and an athlete it's huge yeah. it's massive because the type of game is totally different hmm. the genre is totally different uh, see uh, games like uh, soap cutting and uh, hmm. in flappy bird for that matter hmm. those games are played to kill time hmm. those games are played to gain um, gratification or satisfaction hmm. within a very short hmm. amount of time hmm. they are not they are casual gamers hmm. they're not uh, dedicated athletes hmm. so definitely there is a huge gap when it comes to uh, our platform mm-hmm. which is pocket league where you compete against uh, other gamers mm-hmm. and uh, you can uh, basically play in tournaments against them at mm-hmm. these casual games i would still not call our platform an esports platform mm-hmm. and neither would i call our games esports titles because they're far from it these mm-hmm. games have a certain uh, level of skill mm-hmm. that you can get to and then there is a certain amount of luck that comes into play so mm. they definitely not there is definitely a skill tree in the sense that they are improving mm. but uh, it's never to a point where it can be compared to a pubg or anything any of those other types brings an interesting question to my mind and i've had this discussion with a lot of people where are uh, gaming esports and then you have fantasy right so a lot of people have categorized fantasy as esports what do you guys think they're just trying to piggy bag on e-sport maybe <laughs> possible possible right so i mean if you look at it um, e-sports companies are getting funded more than say oh, fantasy or is it the other way around and then you're uh, piggy backing so on the bigger name fantasy uh, is quite controversial but yeah fantasy guys 
try to avoid tax mm. in multiple ways by trying to push it as a game and not a chance by luck. The minute anything falls under luck, it gets into the gambling space, it gets mm -hmm. into the space where the government comes behind you very, very aggressively uh, by showing it that it's a sport and it's a skill and fantasy is all about, you know, knowing the game. They're trying to basically get around this whole idea of not paying tax, to be honest. That's my bits. No, it makes sense. I mean, it also then, how far are we from uh, calling it betting? But, but then, then this is from probably the company's perspective, a fantasy company's perspective. <clears throat> what do you say about the casual gamer or the casual fantasy player who's calling it esports? Because he's reading it in the mainstream media, which is funded by these companies itself. Mm -hmm. So he doesn't know any better. Esport is a buzzword. Yeah. Yeah. So it is. It, it, it truly is. And, and a lot of brands slash investors have been on the edge because they don't know what it is. So, See, the problem with, the problem with fantasy for me is and I've, I've been fortunate enough where I've professionally had betting on, on, on sport because it's legal in some countries and in India, of course, you can't do that. So you have to go the fantasy route. And the reality is that the knowledge required for you from a fantasy perspective also, it's, it's honestly just a faff. You can have all the knowledge in the world, but you will never be able to pinpoint and figure out a way to win. It's literally luck. So them telling you that it's, it's like you need to know the knowledge of the game and blah, blah, blah. Get the best. Technically, then people who used to work with me in Star, uh, you know, who work with the commentators, have all the statistics, should be winning like all these 51 lakh and 1 crore rupee prize money from, from Dream11, right? But they don't. That, that clearly proves you that you might have all the skills and all the data that is required to select the best 11. It's just on that day, somebody might get injured, you know, it's literally, it's just luck. It's just a different way of presenting a bet. Instead of me presenting a bet of saying that, okay, India will win, India will not win. You just basically broken it down into select 11 players, put them into point system. But at the end of the day, it's, it's exactly like betting, you know, and now you have an excuse for your bad form in the fantasy <laughs> See, my belief, frankly, is that um, it is, I think, it is 55% skill, 45% luck. But that luck aspect being so high yeah. is what yeah. makes the game interesting and is what gets people coming back. Because yeah. in fantasy, you always think mm. that you have a chance of it. Yeah. 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 Which you also feel in a casino. Whereas, you know, in comparison to something like, um, say, Flappy Bird. Yes. Yeah. Now, I think Flappy Bird is so much more a game of skill compared to even fantasy. True, right? Right. And that is why you don't get that many people competing at Flappy Bird actually. Hmm. Or sticking to or, or just sticking to it and constantly sort of getting into tournaments. True. True. Because there's so much skill involved and because hmm. uh, they all they at after some point they feel, okay, I hmm. cannot win this. Hmm. And as fantasy always gives you that hope because of that sort of skill luck balance that is there. True. Also yeah, it's also the Indian culture, right? I mean so look at the number one game was Teen Patti for so long. <laughs> I think it's still probably the number one game, I'm not it's sure. Yeah, you know, uh, so was Ludo at one point. Ludo you know? Yeah. So, Indians love the idea of just playing for luck, you know. <laughs> it's like, it's just, it, it's in our blood. Yes. I think it's from the Mahabharata days when they used to play that oh, thing with the dice, you know. <laughs> it was, yeah. It's just, it's always been there, like, you know. So, I think culturally we like to gamble, you know. Uh, I think it's in our DNA. Uh, the minute it comes to skill, 
then we are like, okay, I will drop out. I'll just sit and watch. So that's why we are a great viewership market. You know. True that, right? And by the way, thank you because you said fifty-five percent skill, forty-five percent luck, right? That's going to be my first rap single. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, but now coming to the point of Indian culture in general, right? So, um, if you look at it, people around the globe, and now I'm looking at parents in general, and we've always had uh, issues with kids spending a certain amount of time in front of the screen, mm-hmm. right? And this becomes more pertinent when the kids say uh, younger than 10 12 years yeah. now if you look at the west most of your athletes are already hitting pro by 14 or 15 so they yeah. would have been starting off by 9 or 10 so now how do you get beyond that boundary in india where you'll have to convince parents that hey aapka bachcha time pass nahi kar raha he's actually building towards a career so him spending 4 hours in front of a game at the age of 7 is not bad Oh, I have a kid who's seven years old. So. Oh, perfect! So you're the perfect <laughs> person can, to answer this. Answer then. this question. Mm-hmm. So there are two aspects. I, when I was with Red Bull, uh, I had a very similar issue with uh, non-mainstream sport, mm-hmm. where parents would be like, "Are you trying to invest? Are you trying to be a surfer? You're trying to be a skateboarder? Mm-hmm. He's not going to give you any money." Uh, it, the inherent issue that I see between any of the so-called developed Western worlds and India is that we are an extremely society-sensitive market. So when a parent tells you that I don't want my kid to be on the screen, a parent is probably doing that 95% because of the peer pressure, then the actual understanding or the knowledge of what is wrong or what is right for the kid. They have no freaking idea why a kid should not watch screen or watch screen. They are only saying it because everyone else is saying it. Tomorrow suddenly it becomes a norm that kids are allowed to watch screen and it's oh how how is a kid not watching screen? They will say exactly the same thing but the opposite way. They be like oh how is a kid not watching any screens? You know everyone's watching screens. So that that's one thing that you need to understand. The second thing is whether you like it or not. Uh it's like when my parents were older there was a certain benchmark where okay you only spoke to a woman or a girl when you went to college. That kind of came down to school at our, our at our generation. Then it came down to middle school at you know the younger generation before us, you know. So we are very progressive in that sense. Now a lot of parents want to be progressive but they always gauge the society around them so if you see there are pockets in even in india where uh, it's cool for the kids to be on their screen and have a mobile phone at 10 years old and there's a certain segment of the market that actually talks about it very proudly oh my son has an iphone or my son has this at the age of 10 and then there's a certain pocket that's been promoted say that oh it's bad for you and they try and impose these rules of saying no screen time for more than 2 hours uh what is right or wrong is very hard to define i think the important here is that uh, you need to understand the better side of the screens right today a screen is a great platform to learn uh, i think you if you if you use the screen the right way uh, there are a lot of things that a kid can learn a lot faster uh, we we i was one of the parents and i was guilty enough to say i said i will never let my kid watch a screen now I, i will just want him to play outside all the time which i did my son plays a lot of stuff outside but he plays a lot of things on the screen as well and uh, the balance is is case to case basis you know there is no like rule that okay a kid should only spend 4 hours any doctor that comes up with this whole theory of saying yes. more than 3 hours of screen is bad for you that doctor is lying to you <laughs> and uh, it's it's bullshit you know if, if that was the case there half of us should be dead by now because uh, the number of hours that we spend on the screen as as adults 
is also humongous, right? So I don't know where they get the data from. That only children get affected by screens, and suddenly, if you're an adult, you don't get affected by screens. <laughs> How? Like suddenly, what changes? Like you know, there's no medical data to prove that. Oh, what changes? You know, crossing a magical age. Yeah, absolutely. It's like it's ridiculous to like even have that kind of statistics. I understand. Yes, the mental growth of a child—that's a different topic altogether, right? If you're talking about how quickly a child grows, like again, if I give an example of my my son who's seven years old, I have seen the difference of him being four and him being seven now. The amount of knowledge that he's been able to capture in his small little brain in a span of three years—he knows stuff that I probably didn't know when I was like 15 years old. You know, like he knows about you know all the body parts. He understands what is called what. He understands reproduction at seven. You know, uh, am I not proud of that? Of course, I am proud of that. It's great. I'm mean, saying the point is, why not? Today the world is moving so much faster. What I'm going to do by trying to hold my kid back? You know, suddenly he's going to get into a work environment where. He's gonna be like, oh, you know what? Uh, oh, the, the birds come from the sky, and the, suddenly the baby falls down, and people are gonna look at him like, are you fucking stupid at 15? That's what happens with kids. Like, you know, unfortunately, at 16 and 17, they don't even know the basic sex education that is required, and that's purely because we are so narrow-minded with our understanding. Oh, every, everything from the West is bad. Yeah. You know, sometimes we just need to be a little bit more open-minded and be like, hey. It's case to case basis. Yeah, if you obviously if you let a kid play Mortal Kombat at the age of seven, he's gonna turn out to be a serial killer. Yeah, I'm saying we all. Play, I'm just saying the 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 current Mortal Kombat. We played Mortal Kombat, which was extremely animated and. I've been playing football on my console and PC since I was seven. I can't play football. I'm a very short footballer, right? So, current have you? Seeing this uh, affect the kind of audience you have on your platform. So, do you see younger people coming in, or do you see slightly older people coming in? I mean, we have an age restriction, eighteen and above, anyway. Okay. On the platform, so we don't see young. Does that help though? And it was the reason for the age restriction. I mean, just ethically, yeah. I think it was just. Mm-hmm. I think uh, to keep it, uh, we do not want uh, people younger than eighteen at least coming and taking money from their parents and then coming on the platform and putting mm-hmm. in money and then playing and then. They could be irresponsible as well. Of course, we have checks against mm-hmm. people who are mm-hmm. being irresponsible and uh, depositing mm-hmm. money and stuff. Mm-hmm. But um, I think that was a decision that we took. It was a mm-hmm. decision that we took early on to keep for 18 and above. Uh, the legal landscape about uh, this entire industry is fairly grey too. Mm-hmm. Oh yes. Eleven had their case. They won mm-hmm. their case in the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had to prove that fantasy uh, games is a game of skill. Mm. now on our platform we have seven or eight games mm. right so mm. if there is a point ever where if to one through every game mm. is a game of skills you know what i what i feel bad about about this is that how the hell does chota beam get approved for kids mm. but then you have a problem they play video games <laughs> Chota beam is probably the worst thing that can happen to children. You know, it's the most violent thing that I've ever seen in my whole life. It's more violent than PUBG. You know, and it's so weird. Like we have different laws because it's content and it's presented as kids' content. It gets approved, and then it's so weird. Like I would let my kid rather play PUBG Mobile than watch Chota beam, and I have literally watched Chota beam for hours just to see the content. It is disgusting and it's it's freaking violent as hell. You know, but it is it is crazy. It's like 
there's revenge, there is hatred, there is you name all the negative aspects that a, that a human <laughs> being should not learn, and he will learn that from Chota I want to put you on the spot. Is it worse than Shin Chan? Ah. See, Shin Chan is more fun. Shin <laughs> 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 Chan is also in a way foreign, so the parents might let you watch it as well. <laughs> One thing, and you spoke about this, where esports athletes in general stick to a game. Right now, in India, especially in the consumer market, uh, like consumer products market, there's no loyalty. So, in the esports slash gaming industry, how do you expect people to have that kind of loyalty? Where I know for a fact in hyper casual games, if I'm playing game A today and a similar game or a slightly different game comes up in the next week, I might shift. Yeah, definitely. You will shift. That's so, how casual gamers are. So then, in and in esports, how does that work? Where, what is the age where you see attrition happening? Where so I'm play, I've grown up playing Dota 2, but say at the age of 11, I give it up. So is that an issue? Uh, not really. I think the so the classic case for that would be something like League of Legends. Uh, I think it's almost been what 10 years now. Uh, the games only get got stronger and stronger. Uh, I think the the beauty of of, of these games is that uh, they have so much depth in them, uh, and uh, they have so many stories and so many different characters, and uh, you could literally and the meta changes all the time. So, uh, as a pro, you need to after every six months, every eight months, basically just go and grind again. And uh, the dropouts normally happen when people just get fed up of the grind. To be honest. Yeah. Uh, like when I play League of Legends, uh, I'm still stuck in silver, maybe. Yeah, I think the highest I've gone is silver three, mm. you know, uh, which is no way even close to being a pro. And uh, yeah, I don't have the, and that took me like three and a half years. So that's the kind of investment and time investment that people put in. Uh, now I'm almost 30, I'm 35, so I don't have that kind of time. But when I was, if I was 16 and I was playing League of Legends and I was silver three, I would go at it. I'll go at it for another ten years for sure. True. Uh, I guess after that, that much time investment, you probably want to shift to another. Yeah, and, and as I said, the depth of the game is so huge. Like, mm -hmm. you, you know, the, as a gamer, every single aspect of your your need as a gamer gets fulfilled. So you want content, there is content. You want music, there is music. You want great champions and characters to relate to. You have that. You want merchandise, you have that. You have core esports, you have that. You want casual esports within. Uh, League of Legends, there is TFT. So, there is absolutely no reason for me to leave that game and get out of, of that game. And I think that's where uh, a lot of good publishers have got it right. Uh, what's happened with PUBG Mobile right now, uh, and I can guarantee you that Tencent will make sure that PUBG Mobile will sustain for another 10 years. Uh, they, as I said, it takes literally possibly Tencent will go ahead and be like, I'm going to do a 16. Uh, 16 uh, team league globally, minimum buy in 10 million dollars, you know, create the, the highest of the spectacle at, at the PUBG level and that the players will just go berserk and they'll continue to play because they want to reach there. You know, and it's with any sport, right? The minute you create the highest level of this is your glory, yeah. everything else builds around that. It's like the Olympics, the Olympics should have died years back. But it's still glorified because it's the biggest thing that you can win as an athlete and people continue to spend money, governments continue to fund it, yes. you know, and uh, that's what happened with esports. So the good esports has that very clear pyramid defined, uh, which is League of Legends, Counter-Strike, 
Dota, unfortunately, what's happened, of course, is uh, they've not really looked after. So they have international, but they don't have anything else. So the pathway for a Dota player is also kind of not really well defined. Uh, the after, can't really call it after service, but like the customer service or the uh, the community ma angle of Dota has not been that great. Uh, so it's kind of faded away in a way. But the other ones, it's going really, really strong. That's what Fortnite did also last yeah. year, right? With the whole cup. Yes, yeah, yeah. Prize money. With the that in mind, uh, I have a question which is like raised more to the Indian ecosystem. Mm -hmm. uh, Esports, for example, is not really accessible to everyone. I mean, not when it comes to the mobile, but when it comes to the console. Consoles are expensive. So, you know, how would you say plan on capturing these people or? You know, reaching out to these people, how would you want to get them on board? See, see the reality is that, uh, you know, the, the platform today is relevant because it's either PC, mobile, you know, console. In the next five years, it's not going to be relevant. Somebody's going to come with a game that's going to be exactly the same on all the three platforms. You know, you are a rich man kid, you want to play on the console, play on the console. Uh, I'm a poor man's kid, I'll play on the phone. Uh, the gameplay is going to be exactly the same. Mm -hmm. So the barriers of this physical devices is going to disappear, you know. And uh, once that happens, yeah. I mean, say every, everything is a, a playing field, right? Yeah. So we're having this conversation today because it's a business today, right? So yeah. there's somebody in the console business, he's the worried. He's like, what, what the hell am I going to do? He's got into, you know, the idea of cloud gaming and, and, and stuff like that. Uh, now, the console is just going to turn into a way for me to log into the game. Everything is going to sit on cloud. Right. Now, whether I decide to log in from my phone or from my console, that's only going to be on the basis of whether I use an iPhone or use a OnePlus. Yeah. It's going to be exactly like that. It's going to be cosmetic. It's going to be more style statement. Yeah. Uh, and to a certain level, performance. Fine. Yeah. Performance. You know? So, when it will come to the highest level, say when it comes to these competitions, global competitions, See me playing on my phone against someone playing on their console, or even me playing on a, on a phone versus someone playing on the latest model of, say, an S20 Ultra or whatever. Is the difference that big, and how do you combat it at a competition level? See, the great part is that at a at a at a serious esport level, uh, that gets looked after anyways. You know, it's like, I mean, say, yeah, when India plays Pakistan or India plays Ireland, the Indian team, of course, has better support staff, they have a better uh, you know, sponsor, so which means they probably stay in a better hotel, you know, but when they play on the cricket field, it's the same cricket field for both, the same pitch for them, right? So it's the same with eSport, right? So the internet connectivity is going to be the same, the possibly hardware is going to be provided by the organizer, which is going to be the same for everyone. So you might train on a better equipment, but when you come to play the tournament, you and we have the same equipment, you know? Uh, so that definitely happens at the highest level of eSport. But uh, how about when it's online, when the competition is online, how do you check it then? Okay, so when it's online, it's completely up to the team owners and right. it's completely up to the investment. Like as I said, our, our players play on a, on a LAN connection right now. We may, we've invested the money in having a dedicated line. Right. I'm very sure a lot of teams have not done that. Uh, as I say, it's a matter of, then it's an individual choice of right. the level of investment you want to do in your team and how professional you want to get as a, as a sporting organization, right? Uh, I think that that dis discrepancy is important for sport. 
because otherwise what will happen is if everyone's on the same as same level there's no aspiration left oh yeah you know that'll be like the even thing which happened when it came to compete with f1 absolutely yeah you know you need to as i say you need to have somebody needs to have the golden goose yeah. so that everyone goes behind it yeah <laughs> otherwise it's just like oh you also give me that i also give you that so that the the athletes also could be like i have no aspirations left because everyone gets the same thing right so in in india i think we we've, we've all spoken about this right? it's a mobile first market yeah. for now and uh, you guys have tapped into it right so i think all of your games are on mobile right and um, you're also like uh, pubg the team that you bought in india was the first mobile gaming yeah. team that you bought now if i'm to draw an analogy between this and say uh, other consumer products and how when a western brand comes into india they've seen that the ecosystem functions in a completely different way right it's like indians have a mind of their own which shows in the way we consume products do you see the esports and the gaming ecosystem coming up in india completely independently of what's happening in the west or do you still see the same trends applying out here as well i mean the trends so far have been different they have if you could yeah. say a bit more about that um, so i mean mobile mobile esports is hmm. huge in india right because hmm. it's just it's a device that is there with mm-hmm. literally everyone it's accessible it's cheap mm-hmm. and there are so many chinese manufacturers who've come in and mm-hmm. sort of made it possible for True. the mass market mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. have this devices in the west in general in the us mm-hmm. that is not an issue mm-hmm. right uh, their uh, their uh, primary mode of consumption of esports or playing esports mm-hmm. in general has been on uh, consoles or pcs mm-hmm. um The most popular game in India, mm. or in India at the moment, is PUBG. Mm. The most popular yes. sport in India yes. is PUBG. Uh, in the West, mm. in the US, is mm. uh, Fortnite. Mm. Right. Uh, that is because of the accessibility of, um, I think, the device that is there. It is also mm. the consumer market, right? I think Indians, sort of, of at least from the people that I've spoken to, they mm. relate to PUBG mm. a lot more in terms of its art style, in terms of the gameplay in mm. general. Whereas Fortnite, I think, which is a slightly more mature game, mm. uh, with a cartoonish art style, mm. I think resonates more with the US market because the US market in general are used to gaming. Mm. For many Indians, mobile gaming was their first taste of gaming. True, true. And thus, for them, I think mm. there are certain things that they have in mind. There are certain um, expectations mm. that they have from games. Mm. And when mm. the India mass market looks at a game which is say cartoonish for example in mm. that sort of realistic mm. setting um they don't like it hmm that's i think a big factor why pubg has done much better than fortnite and fortnite in general has not pushed um not even sure for fortnite is not not even available on the google play store hmm. right hmm. so it was it was really crappy <laughs> it was <laughs> it was just extremely heavy oh Took like forever to download. <laughs> I thought they always had the side load. Nah, they tried it, but it's just it was a failure. So, yeah. building on his point, Animesh, do you see it being possible that again, if the ecosystem comes up independently and not follow, doesn't follow a lot of trends, so the kind of games they're looking at in Pocket League, so you say you have a Flappy Bird yeah. or uh, say games like Stick Cricket today, can they be? converted into a tournament where you have say 10 people coming in so i have a little different point of view on that i think uh, the first question whether it's independent or whether it is different than the west uh, i think it will never survive without the west 
Okay. Uh, the problem with the Indian ecosystem, I feel, is that we have lost the the chance of being the supreme market for Asia. Uh, if you actually look at the Asian market today, which China is the number one esports brand market in the world, even way ahead of US. Uh, second is Korea. Uh, third is Vietnam. Fourth is Indonesia. Fifth is Philippines. Then there is Malaysia. I'm not even talking about places like Cambodia and, and Brunei, which are way ahead of India. You know, so this whole concept of that India is India is only a supreme power in the conversations is because we are the next biggest population after China. True. True. Uh, the reality is that this ecosystem is only going to grow with foreign investment. It's only going to grow with big brands from the from the European scene and from the American scene coming to this country and literally kind of handpicking and showing the industry guys here how to run esports and what is the professional way of like any other sport. You know, it's like if you look at the English came here and taught us how to play cricket, it took us a lot of years to figure it out. And then eventually we became the powerhouse, right? It's exactly the same. I look at it like that. Like there is absolutely no shame in accepting the fact that we don't know how to run sport in this country. Are you saying colonialism yeah. is the answer? <laughs> I think so. Because the, the reality is that when we try and run something, we get so lost in this whole idea as India is so different, India is this. Every fucking country is different. You go to Vietnam, I spend a lot of time in Southeast Asia, every single country is unique. They have the same issues that we have, but they seem to be fine. You know, they seem to catch on to the trends, they seem to be professional, they seem to know how to run an organization, they seem to know how to run a, a professional sports team. It's not that, it's not anyone else, it's us. Yeah. It's, oh, yes. you know, it's, oh. it's, and this is what I keep, when I go to conferences, when I go to meet people, I'm like, when are we going to stop blaming everyone else for our own issues? Yeah. You know, we've, as I said, we had the chance to be a very important market and we still are an important market. But today, look at the dependency. Our number one game is Chinese, yeah. right? Our number two game is European. Our number three game is also European. Our number four game doesn't even exist. You know, that's the reality. Like, we are heavily dependent on international publishers. Indian publishers, unfortunately, have decided that they want to take the route of doing simple mobile games and, and sticking to that. We do a lot of back-end work for a lot of the main games, right? But I would like to see eventually somebody trying to say that I'm going to make an esports game from India or I'm going to make a console title from India. I'm going to make a PC title from India that's going to do amazingly well. That's what China did. Yeah. You know, the reason China became number one in esports is they said, they copied. They were like very clear. They're like, okay, your game is there, fine. We fucking make it a Chinese version out of it. And they killed it, you know. And that's why the audience is... So, Honor of Kings. It's a complete copy of League of Legends. True. Number one game in China, by far. PUBG Mobile, there's a copy of that in China as well. Kills it, you know. They don't wait for anyone. They don't wait for the market to come and stuff. You know, they're like, okay, we've been playing CSGO for donkey's years, right? Why didn't somebody just pick up and decided I'm going to fucking create the Indian CSGO instead of us having maps that look like some colonial Rome that I'm trying to run behind, it's going to look like fucking gangs of Vasepur. You know, there was a chance where the whole regional idea and identity of India was booming 
you know if i can guarantee you somebody had to come up with a game that looked like csgo felt like csgo was a typical gangs of wasepur kind of a gang war game yes. people would have fucking played it i i think the same about pubg someone yeah absolutely 100% indian, yeah, PUBG, yeah. They would, they would. but see pub, we are now indianizing pubg so our yeah. through a content because we can't do it to the game anymore because the game's already been done yeah. so now you try and make a game it's going to look funny yeah. right the the opportunity was there when it was just and that's what free fire did really well so free fire is a perfect example free fire said which is bagdarina they are also a publisher they are actually a third party publisher they never used to make their own games this is the first game that they made themselves they realized that listen pubg is trying to capture markets which are relevant to them they were they were the kings in southeast asia they said we will make a game that resonates the characters look a lot more asian in that sense it's a lot more cartoony in nature it's got you you have variety of kind of skill sets that you can add to your champion so they dramatize the game a little bit more call it free fire it's exactly like pubg thailand is the biggest market then they went to latin america they captured brazil as the biggest market then when they captured two three important markets like indonesia thailand brazil they eventually landed up in india today gari today free fire is the number two game after pubg and i won't be surprised if it takes over pubg eventually because it resonates with people who are not mainstream or who don't come from a towns or b towns so majority of the free fire guys are now coming from places like kota in rajasthan or some interiors of jharkhand you know somebody from west bengal and northeast as well you know uh, so when i when i think about it i'm like we are now at the mercy of international publishers you know we don't even have our own ecosystem in e-sport because we don't even have our own game today there is nobody who can stand up and say i want to run an indian tournament without the approval of an international team giving you the license ki chal mera game chala le you know that's how bad we are in terms of the ecosystem jump right to you karan what stops a fire score today from making a game like okay, that so i think it's very very easy to see that okay fire <laughs> <laughs> I like uh, this. It's very difficult. It's expensive. It's expensive. It's expensive. It's expensive. You know, you gotta realize one thing that the Indian gaming community, game development, is is very young. It's not been around for a very long time. What source Indian gaming companies were in that industry? Yeah. Right. The only reason I say this is because when I worked in Riot. I was in the studio in LA. You know, I've seen Riot Studio, I've seen Tencent Studio, I've seen Garena Studio. Yeah. It's we have the talent. There is no doubt about that. A lot of the work happens in India. Uh in Pune, in Hyderabad, in Bangalore, you know, uh in Noida. Like you know, a lot of back end work happens here, right? So there were two options I said. We didn't want to copy anyone. because we're not china so we said oh we have laws yeah. and regulations copy movies all the time don't we no, we could have i'm saying mm. i don't know what the reason i don't mm. think i don't think uh, our mentality says that we would not copy anyone i think we would go ahead and copy irrespective even developers are known to copy but then why did you do it what is <laughs> lack of investment <laughs> lack of investment lack of resources lack of money well i would say look at the amount of investment that's going in ott platforms man i would like i would just convince one person ki matlab 20 ho gaye hai 21 kar kya karoge ek game mein dal do 
And so, the thing with the game is very different yeah, because there are a lot of things that come to play. No, no, no. I, I'm just, I'm, I'm saying this more like a joke. I know what goes behind in making a game. I'm just saying that the reality now is that we are now at the mercy of the international markets. The thing is today we can't even dictate what's going to be popular and not popular because we don't make the games. So the reality is that today everyone's saying PUBG Mobile because PUBG Mobile is the biggest, right? For now, for anyone to break that monopoly, it's not in our hands. We have to wait and watch what the international publishers come up with. Which of them, which of them actually sees India as a potential to invest, come to India, service the Indian gaming market, and then create a game that at par with PUBG Mobile. That's when we can say, okay, now this is the next game. Like you know, we can just sit and wait and watch. We have no control over the ecosystem, and that's what I. This is what I keep telling everyone. Like, we, when you don't have the control on the ecosystem, right, from the root of it, right, then you're only trying to build businesses around something that can be taken away from you overnight, you know, and which is sad. Like for me, the reason to join Fnatic is because I know for a fact today, if PUBG Mobile dies in this country, Fnatic has 16 other teams globally, you know. But if I'm a, imagine if I'm an Indian investor today in an esports team, and I'm only PUBG Mobile heavy. Yeah. My question is, was I am going to pump in so much money in this game? If this game dies for whatever reasons, right? What do I do next? Yeah. I don't have the fallback on CS:GO. I don't have the fall fallback on anything because none of these other games are big in this country. So it's literally like a one-trick pony in a way. It is, and that's where a lot of investors and brands are also shying away, right? So we don't have any Indian brands or investors that are coming in today, either backing publishers. Or backing rosters. I mean, some investors are doing that today. But what needs to change? You feel, and um, you're in the hyper-casual gaming uh, market, so you're on an ad-based model, right? right? So, what kind of brands today are advertising, and what do you feel needs to change in the ecosystem so that more brands come in? And I'm not talking about teams. I'm saying brands that will want to get associated with tournaments, spend money, which then drives the whole ecosystem, right? I think the beauty. So I'll give you an example. Uh, I might try and answer this in a different way, right? So when we won yesterday, uh, we decided to go live with the team on um, on one of our team channels. Uh, this is the first time I went live just for fun's sake with the team, right? We had like some fifteen thousand kids who came online. Literally, like after the game got over, we said we're going to go live and we're going to answer all the questions. There were fifteen thousand people who logged in to the channel. We answered. There was like some around forty-five thousand odd comments. I personally answered over five hundred questions myself. You know, that's when I realized that these kids are way ahead, or they are way beyond the ecosystem that we are used to. This whole idea of media houses, advertisers, broadcasters. This community doesn't give a damn about any of that. They will find ways and means to connect with the people that they believe in, right? The day the media agencies and the brands find a way to understand this, right? That's the only way things can change. The problem is it's extremely hard because it's very time-consuming. Today I'm a brand manager. It's a lot easier for me to say, "Ek crore pe le ad bana de dal de TV pe." I don't want to get into trying to understand this consumer and stuff and all. He will still get the numbers because we are still 
20 years behind the world because we still work on TRP ratings and not on actual engagement. So, he will show his boss that, look sir, the rating was 2, I added an ad, so many people have seen it. Everyone is happy, everyone gets their incentive, people move on, right? The brand dies eventually. You know, and I've seen so many of these brands die. Where, where is uh, Micromax today? You know? Like, if mobile is the biggest thing that's happening in this country, the only Indian brand that pretty much introduced the idea of smartphones is dead today. Why? Because he was freaking doing cricket. You know, whereas the kids were doing photography and, and video and TikTok and this bugger's playing spending money on cricket. Because he wants to reach and he wants to show numbers, look how many people I reach out to. But the reality is that the guy who's consuming your product, he is not, he doesn't care about cricket anymore. You know, uh, I keep telling this to everyone, cricket is the worst investment in this country. Worst investment, you know. And I get slapped by a lot of people because they're like, Ay, you know, sorry. But, but I'm like, you know, I'm like, the real consumer today doesn't care about cricket, you know. How many of us even today watch the entire T20 game? We don't. We just watch highlights. Nobody watches cricket anymore because it's just too much of cricket and it's just too boring to watch now. Too long as well. Yeah. And I'm like, I have so many options. I can just go and watch literally the entire highlight in like a five minute roll on Hotstar and get it done with. You know? So. But I think the mass market in India watches cricket. I mean, just. But if I am. Think, but if I'm a brand today, you know, unless and until I am. Cycle chap agarbatti, I don't want to talk to the mass market. Like, the spending power is with not more than 100 million people. What are you going to do by talking to 700 million people? Like, when, when I was at Star Sports, we put out a number saying that 700 and some 835 million people watched the IPL. How many of them can I even freaking buy a Pepsi in a month? Like, 100 million people can actually afford to buy groceries every month properly without feeling the hunger. That's the reality of this country. Why the hell are you talking to 100 million, 800 million people? Expensive branding exercise. It's, yeah. it's the ecosystem. That's what, that's what I keep telling everyone, right? It's a very well done scam by the highest of the people sitting in all media houses, including Star, including Sony. Everyone knows exactly how to get the money out of the brands. They have made this they have made this bubble that they will not let it burst. Because everyone's bonuses, everyone's jobs, everyone's penthouses are built on that. You know, <laughs> they're not going to let that burst. It's not. The funny part is that, you know, back in the industrial revolution, you made money because you made products. You made X number of cars, you sold X number of cars. That's how you made money. Yeah. In today's world, you make nothing. Mm. And you make 10 times the money. Yeah. That ecosystem doesn't work. Because it it's, it's just one bubble after the other. Yeah. Today, today it was the SARS bow bubble that happened a few years back. That died. Yeah. There was dance in the dance bubble. Okay. Then it's something else. Now it's cricket. Then it's something else. Then it's going to be kabaddi. Mm. The point is you're just taking it from one place to the other place. But you're not letting that ecosystem die. You are very, very clearly saying that boss, media agencies will decide the major budgets of the major brands. Mm. You know, it's, it's the world's biggest scam. And I love it because I was a part of it also. <laughs> and I'm like, this is amazing because it is so funny. People are literally like, it's worse than being a thief. Mm. You know, they're looting you every single day. And you think though, this guy is helping me out. He's oh. making my brand reach to so many people. He's making a fool out of you. you know? yeah. There goes our TV deal with Star, <laughs> man. <laughs>
<laughs> Though, you raise a very interesting point here and I know you guys would be on the opposite sides of the spectrum here because esports is a niche market, right? Whereas hyper casual gaming is a mass market uh, product. So would you say there's ever going to be an overlap of the brands that get associated with it? So what kind of brands are today advertising I mean, on your platform? There are hardly like 5 to 10 percent of our impressions go to brands really. So okay. It's very, very less. So which is a question now. I've seen free hyper casual games having ads of other free hyper casual games. Who's making money? Um, the ones with the highest LTV. <laughs> <laughs> So doesn't that drag audience away from your game to other games? It does but they come back. So it's like a Hindu advertising on a Times of India? I mean, it's, yeah, it's yeah, a, it's a, it's a game then come back. <laughs> 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 That's a good ecosystem then, right? <laughs> it's a different, it's a different uh, game altogether, right? Mm -hmm. it's not, so, for example, in soap cutting, there's not, uh, there's no other soap cutting game that is advertising, right? So, hyper casual gamers mm -hmm. are fickle; they move from game to True. game. So mm -hmm. that's totally fine. We have mm -hmm. an ad based. We monetize through ads. Mm -hmm. It's a different game. Uh, every hyper casual game is different mm -hmm. from one another. We make sure that similar games don't advertise on the platform, of course. So you have to do that, right? Yeah. So yeah. So we've we've seen um, international brands come in, right? Uh, so think of a major league baseball that's come into India now, and uh, Arsenal have tried coming in. I know La Liga is here. <laughs> I'm gonna say something so bad. <laughs> Please do, man. If Please you're, do. If you're shitting on Arsenal, I would love it. Please. I mean, if you want to abuse the team, the reason I say this. So I married to a South African, right? She always says this, you know. Everything that becomes uncool around the world comes to India to die. <laughs> and she always gives me the example of Ed Hardy. Ed Hardy was like a dead brand all over the world, but it had a full-fledged store at Phoenix Mall. You know, for like almost four years. Which is which is absolutely true because growing up when we were studying, right, and we've been said, we've been told, right, India is a dumping ground for all kind of technology that's dying out today. Now, if you see a MLB or a La Liga that's come in, they've had to re-look at their strategy because they said, hey, we, we're all gung-ho about this market, huge market. Baseball is very similar to cricket. Teen Salua, nothing happened. Now they're spending money on educating the people about this whole thing. So and another another end is also nothing will happen. <laughs> because what a lot of people don't know is uh, baseball actually came to India in 2004 already. You know, and they tried for five years and they went back. Same with <laughs> same same with basketball, right? Yeah. Basketball been basketball's been trying so for such a long time. Basketball is a little so basketball has taken a very weird so very funnily, I actually spoke to somebody in the NBA about the the NBA 2K uh, as a part of their esports strategy for India, and I was like, "How many people actually even have the game in India? First, give me that number. You know, let's not jump the gun before because it's a 5,999 rupee game. I have the game, so I know for a fact that when I go online to try and play with somebody, there's nobody. <laughs> so I'm like, hardly anyone has bought that game in this country. But uh, with basketball. You know, we, and I can say this because I've done some work in basketball and as a Red Bull, 
we inherently have some talent and our level of basketball has never been that bad at, at least at the asia level right and then we have a television product that is in your face that has been shown as the pinnacle of again as i said right when you know the pinnacle of where it stands right so the aspiration is the nba the aspiration is to eventually get there so they have that and then they have the bottom they are building in the middle blocks now so i am 100% sure that basketball will work uh, eventually in this country because as a product it has proven the highest level from a india perspective it's shown the numbers of participation and the inherent love for the game so it might not be a huge number but the playing number is substantially huge right and it's a matter of putting a putting that that block for the india side of it uh, which i think from what i understand is currently reliance and nba are going to working together to put a league structure in place uh, which will have uh, some players from china and possibly europe uh, turkey and stuff to be a part of it if not the actual nba guys being a part of it uh, which i think again uh, unless and until they do it exactly like any other league structure in this country and have a really weird business model that works only in the favor of one particular family then we will be then we will yeah then we will not be good <laughs> otherwise we will be fine you know but that sport will do well because it has a lot of legacy you know so current as somebody who's been in the indian ecosystem right and you've been in this sector for i think almost 5 6 years yeah. now you've done companies earlier as well yeah. do you think global brands like fanatic when they're coming in because they're obviously uh, they have big up deeper pockets than an indian brand today do you feel some kind of onus of educating the people and the market also falls on them educating oh. educating people so as i was giving the example of an mlb they had to go out today to schools they have to go out today to parents and educate them about how this can be a career option right okay. today that that kind of education is not there in the market about gaming or esports so do you feel like that a global brand when they coming into the country some onus of educating the people also falls on them or do indian brands need to take that onus brands in terms of like what sort of um, so brands? publishers possibly rosters anything that's related so, to gaming I can't talk from uh, any sports perspective huh? because I do not have the knowledge for it. Hmm. But uh, I think uh, I can talk from a gaming perspective, hmm. um, and I can talk from a uh, perspective of gaming studios that are already set up. In hmm. um, now the thing is, right? A lot of people in general are hmm. looking to get into game development, hmm. uh, looking to set up uh, game studios as well. Hmm. For them itself, there is not enough uh, education. Hmm. in the market at this point hmm. so when a kid goes to his parent and tells them that okay uh, i want to get into game development hmm. Hmm. they say hmm. kya hai? games banana hai tujhe. right that's yeah. what happened with me as well when i hmm. told my parents i want to get educated in game development hmm. that, that was the first reaction hmm. so in general i think the india market uh, lacks awareness of hmm. game development hmm. we are a fairly young game development market true true um, i think in general uh, mm. as gaming studios that are already established in mm. india it is mm. our responsibility mm. to educate these guys mm. and even try and educate the parents mm. uh, i think when we are educating them through the through the reach that we have at least these guys can go and tell their parents 
that okay hey you know what we mm. can make a career this is how we go and go about mm. making a career and uh, these are the steps we need to take mm. these are the jobs available mm. in gaming because at the moment uh, in game development there are a lot of jobs available in mm. the market in India yes. at this point when it comes to game programming game art mm. game design all three um or if you want to uh, go into entrepreneurship mm. Uh, mm. game game development in general is a lucrative market mm. especially when you are in india uh, you are designing for the west you are making games for the west while it is very competitive mm. it is still a uh, cost effective to do business from india true, um, true. i think um, i think so definitely the responsibility falls on game studios Now you guys touched upon this topic on your podcast as well, right? And guys, you should check it out. Another great Indian gaming podcast. Yes, please. Yes, please. Hey, see, <laughs> see, we're good people, right? We cross promote. Advertising. So I know for a fact that Fnatic have tied up with uh, colleges globally, right? What's the mandate there? See, I look at education a little more differently uh, as Fnatic as well, and as as personally as well. I think. uh we do believe that we have to go give back to the ecosystem in some way or the other uh like say for example today i have five pubg players with me uh, the 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 idea is not to uh not what i can do with them the idea is how can i use them as the catalyst to then create the next 500 pubg players uh how can i inspire uh, people to become pro players uh, how can i design the pathway for them how can i make it easier for them to realize that it is not as alien as they think it is uh what happened with the five players with fnatic is nothing short of a fairy tale in terms of you know somebody coming in and then just picking them up and putting them on a roster and paying them 1500 dollars a month as a salary uh that's in, that's aspirational already for a lot of for a lot of pubg players but if there was a process in place where you know exactly the number of hours that you need to grind uh, how to climb you know uh, if your gameplay is weak uh If today I'm a cricketer, I know exactly what I need to do. I need to go. If I can't play short bowling really well, I need to know. I can go to a coach and be like, I want to work on my short bowling. He'll make the 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 wet uh, surface and he get the wet tennis ball and he'll start throwing balls at me. There are there are various drills that I can do. As a PUBG player, there is no real analysis that you can do of your own game. Uh, there is no real uh, feedback that you can get from your peers or from Tencent today, right? Uh, but since we run a professional setup, since we run a professional uh esports team uh what we're trying to create is a module online currently uh, with our team where uh, there are x number of uh, gameplay videos that we take in every month uh, and with our coach and with our team manager we actually analyze them for the players for now and we send them uh, feedback in terms of what is lacking in their gameplay what are the areas of improvement that they need to do on the maps to get to a se- from a semi pro to a pro level uh, and if somebody actually does reach the pro level uh we are now trying to figure out a partner who can then work with us because i cannot possibly contract 100 players with me but there would be enough players in the ecosystem who might not want to be a a pro esports team but they might want to do something in um, in streaming or they might want to do something in talent management or they might want to do something in terms of an academy format and that's what we've been trying to figure out uh, saying that we are we know how to create the module we know how to kind of identify the talent side of it but i cannot necessarily bring everyone on board uh, but if there is somebody else who can take that talent and utilize it for his business uh, needs and then obviously monetize them in some way so that they can also make money out of it 
then we are kind of ticking all the boxes of the ecosystem uh, because we're going to need i mean say i would say in the next 3 years uh, it's going to be a proper trading window for the players it's going to be a proper contracts for the players uh, which means somebody has to manage all of that you know these players don't know how to do that so with the start in mind e-sports as a career option for kids for me for the definitely for the next generation how would you go about convincing the parents that this is a viable option and you can go through it and that you can possibly reach the very top because as, as you know again traditional market conservative attitudes how do you go about changing that well I, if you ask me personally i will i will not get myself into that to be honest uh, i would just let the Uh, I would let this time kind of, uh, you know, make them realize that this is a viable career. Uh, you know, sometimes it's, it's better not to speak about it and just let them realize it themselves. Uh, it's kind of what happened with, uh, with I would say, music or digital marketing or social media marketing. You know, like five years back, if you told somebody I'm going to be a Instagram specialist, he'll be like, "What? Job? Not doing anything?" So I think, but now everyone knows. Everyone, all all parents understand Facebook. They understand Instagram. So I think it's a matter. It's it's a matter of them getting educated within themselves, right? Uh, the the more you try and shove it down their throat, yeah. saying that hey, this is good, this is good, yeah. they get a little bit more defensive about it. You know, they're like, "Tumko kya pata hai? Hamne dekha hai." You know, it's not a real job. So, but the minute they hear news, the minute they see, like our players make salaries today, right? And I'm sure their parents. face the same thing and i speak to them on a regular basis they keep asking me you know what is the sustainability my son decided not to study you know he's he's making good money but i want him to study as well and i keep telling him i said this is like any other career imagine if you were got a contract to be a cricketer right now yeah. you would have told him not to not to play cricket no you would have said go go play cricket like you know is the same thing he's probably making the same amount of money that the under 19 cricketers making right now uh yeah the difference is that you see the ipl yeah. so you feel like oh he can play under 19 then he can play for the ipl and his career is made yeah. today you don't see that ipl in 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 the sport that he is playing yeah. the day that comes you will not stop him and i cannot guarantee you that whether it will come so you, it's your it's a risk that you have to take yeah. if you don't want to take the risk it's fine i'll find somebody else and then the parents are like no 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 we just want to know so for me i don't get into the education side of it purely because i think uh for me it's easy because it's case to case basis you know for a publisher it's a lot harder yeah. 100% uh for a team it's a lot easier i need to find five parents who are open yeah. open to the idea of them playing video games and i my job is done <laughs> you know but when you're a publisher you know you want to kind of talk to 100 million people yeah. and that's when that's when i think a lot of mainstream media stories uh, the right kind of stories uh, really helps uh, not like anyone's help pubg they've always been bad stories about it <laughs> Uh, all the time, like it's too violent, it's too this, it's too that. Yeah. <laughs> Talking about career paths, right? And I think, fortunately or unfortunately, most Indian parents think of a successful career path as one that gives you money. पैसा बनाया बच्चे ने इंजीनियरिंग कर लिया डॉक्टरी कर ली, because that's what they've grown up with, right? These are the two places where you can earn money. Now, so that's what doesn't stop them from letting their kids give up studies to play cricket. but we face this issue where if we are talking to parents who we have to convince ki bachcho ko football khelne do nahi khelna hai so same with an esports today right so where is the money in um, this is an, an open question in gaming and in esports where is the money today in india and how do you show that career path that you know if your kid starts at 14 or 13 
by the next 10 years there's going to be this amount of money in the market either through investors coming in through brands coming in where there's more money being uh the way i look at, okay the way i would like to answer this is nobody knows where the money is okay uh everyone hopes there's money huh. right yeah it's kind of you know everyone's kind of going after this this golden pot nobody really knows where it is right uh the golden pot is actually the community yes you know and it is a lot bigger than any other sporting community in the world yes you know today gaming and esports is a lot bigger than any other sport mm. you know put together and that's the golden pot mm. you know and i don't think that needs to be redefined for india mm. uh today you ask anyone between the age of 11 to 18 or maybe up to 23 you know he will not be able to name more than 10 indian cricketers mm. i'm guaranteed sure about that but he'll be able to name top 5 pubg players in this country exactly you know and that is the proof in the pudding that this community is not kind of sort together by us you know they are they are within themselves they have created a world for themselves now if we want to monetize that and if you want to be a part of that world we have to be a part of the world on their terms because otherwise it's like facebook today facebook has hired somebody who i think is extremely bad for their brand <laughs> because he does not understand the youth <laughs> but <laughs> no zakobo was young when he started facebook right the thing is it's the most boring platform in the world today for this for these people but facebook refuses to agree that they are boring and for old people you know and and what does <laughs> what does what does the youngsters do they just stop being on facebook yeah yeah they're like okay whatever because for them it's literally for them it, there is no filter right yeah. it's like switch in switch off they're like you follow me to facebook i will go to instagram you follow me to instagram i will go to tiktok you follow me to tiktok now i will find something else you know absolutely the more the harder the brands try to monetize and find where the money is the more slap they get on their face yeah. and i've seen this happen with so many brands they're like we are investing heavily on facebook strategy i said why who is on facebook today <laughs> you know which of your consumer is on facebook today you know they're like we are spending heavily on instagram today i was like or oh, twitter today twitter is like the perfect example we have a twitter strategy for who <laughs> for the bunch of 10 so called you know people well, who intellects who on these platforms yeah so see the what i'm trying to get at is that if you don't invest in this community they will not respect you and you look at global examples also every single brand who's done something for the gamers who's outright come and said was here is a way for us to give back to the community here is a device that makes you play better here is a platform that helps you to stream better they have openly taken on those platforms and loved them back right this is what is lacking in india right now we want to monetize something yeah. even before we create any kind of relationship with that individual we are just hungry because of the number we like kaise kare matlab paise kaise banayega i said first try and samajh to le like try try and at least understand wo kar kya raha hai wa kyu kar raha hai kaise kar raha hai you know figure out what his pain points are try and add some value to his life yeah. then he will give you back 
he's he's got five rupees. He will spend four rupees with you, but without doing anything, you just come and shove them something his throat. You know, yeah, hello, four rupees do me rego. He's like, why do you do that rego? You know, and that's that's where the money is. I think so. I think the money is the money will only come when you make these guys spend out of choice and not out of forceful. So that talks about players, right? Karan, if I ask you the same question today. How do you get more publishers into the market? How do publishers make their money in the longer run? Wait, does he want more publishers to come in? I mean, <laughs> competing. Why not? Yeah. The, more the, no, the more the better. Right? The more games there are, I feel the more competition that's going to come up, right? Uh, so I'll, I'll talk about the Indian gaming market in hmm. general. Back in 2014, uh, hmm. there was this belief hmm. that if you publish 5 MB below game. Google Play Store पे publish करते हो, hmm. then you will be able to generate a lot of downloads. Okay, Google okay. will rank you well. Hmm. Uh, this is because the smartphones didn't have that yeah. much space available yeah. hmm. back then. So in order to succeed in the Indian gaming market, your game had to be less than five. Okay, hmm. that was the thing back in 2014, 2015. It was bullshit. Okay. Hmm. <laughs> Never that actually never worked out. Right. Hmm. Okay. Uh, the, traditionally, the problem with the Indian gaming market has hmm. been monetization. Until date, it is in my hmm. opinion, uh, Indians are not willing to spend on yeah. digital items. Hmm. Um, they are willing to spend in games like Teen Patti hmm. and hmm. in real money games. And now from now in PUBG, from what uh, I've heard. No, but even PUBG they don't spend. Hmm. Yeah. I had, I, so finally, I read a report where hmm. which spoke about how Tencent had made 10 million dollars. Um, oh, but which is nothing. Yeah, yeah. But Considering that you have, if you have close to 25 to 30 million players, monthly active users, they're making only 10 million dollars. Yeah. That's less than one dollar, or oh, that's like 0.10 dollar yeah. per person. That's nothing. Still pretty big in India. <laughs> yeah, I'm saying for Tencent, it'll, it'll be like. Yeah, but okay. there is nothing. Yeah. There is nothing. Yeah. They won't even put in the PNL also. Let's go, Madhalo. Disrespectful, lag raha hai. You know who to seek investment from? Oh, yeah. Our podcast will fund it. Yeah, but monetization, I think, in the gaming hmm. industry has been a huge issue. I think hmm. till date, it is a big problem. Hmm. Oh, that's where these real money gaming companies come in. They're hmm. trying to solve this monetization issue. By actually giving money back, what they're saying is, okay, fine. You don't, you're not spending money mm-hmm. in games because you're not getting anything in return. You're mm-hmm. getting digital items. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we are telling you is that you pay money, you enter tournaments, you play, and then you have a chance to win money as well. Mm-hmm. And the conversion rate in these uh, real money games are, mm-hmm. uh, are of course, a lot higher. Right. Dream Eleven has is a unicorn, and mm-hmm. uh, and is uh, also making. Uh, Crazy amount of revenue. Do are we still like? I'm so sorry. I can't hear. No. So uh, hmm. what I'm saying is that is a scenario. Hmm. That is a that is I think hmm. a mentality issue. Hmm. Right. And uh, with sort of uh, the spending power of millennials increasing hmm. and Gen Z also coming in, hmm. I think uh, that will change. Hmm. It is going to take time. time I yeah. think it will take. It's a process hmm. of probably five or six years when hmm. we will be decent in terms of monetization. Hmm. Hmm. Also, just to add, just to add to what he just said right now, I think the, the other problem that we also have is, uh, while we have a great 
actually don't even agree. I think what I've seen, and and this is specifically from countries like Vietnam and Indonesia, where, uh, and again, where the per capita consumption or uh, per capita spending on in games is not that huge. Uh, but when you compare to India, it's it's still decent, you know. Or if you look at Taiwan, it's like extremely high. Uh, what I've realized is that the, the physical distribution of an opportunity to spend in game is a lot more. Like the the problem today is that if I need to spend money in PUBG, I need to use my father's credit card. I need to use my fa my mother's. Now that got sorted out with Paytm and a lot of other things. Pay yeah, but the reality is that even with Google Pay and even with Paytm, a lot of these kids don't have bank accounts. So they're still depending on their parents' accounts, whether it's Paytm, whether it's Google Pay, which means they have to talk to their parents and ask them for a specific amount of money for these games, which normally doesn't happen in Southeast Asia, where you can just walk into a 7-Eleven and you can pay cash and just take a card and you can just pay. And I think that is a clear indication of uh, the failure of distribution that we have within just the general trade uh, in this country because of the lack of, we don't have 7-Elevens everywhere. We don't have petrol stations that are open 24 seven. Th these are the places where I've seen youngsters actually go and pick up Google Pay cards for games like Mobile Legends Bang Bang or for uh, PUBG Mobile or for Arena of Valor. And uh, the reason, I, and, and, I, and I did some research and I asked them, why would you just not buy it online? Like you have Grab Pay and you have a lot of other things. They're like, we have grab pay and some people never have money in there. You know, it's, it's normally just for my food or for other things and stuff. When I want to spend it in the game, I just pay cash and I get whatever item I want and I just buy it. Now that doesn't exist in India, you know, which could be a big reason why a lot of people don't uh, uh, spend money. Uh, you know, the second thing is that there's a huge black market already, which a lot of people don't understand. A lot of transactions don't get recorded to the publisher. Uh, because uh, a lot of people buy skins from other players mm -hmm. and, and yes. then it's a transaction between them and not the publisher, yes. you know, and the same skin gets transferred to so many different people. Mm -hmm. So technically, one purchase gets transacted to 100 other purchases, you know, uh, which is a huge problem again, you know, uh, that's just the way the game is structured where, you know, I can just give it to somebody else or I can sell my account to somebody else. I've seen account selling as yeah, well happening, yeah. yes. you know, you could buy uh, I can buy a completely all champions unlock 30 level account in League of Legends for like 15,000 rupees if I want to. Uh, how can I buy that? Somebody actually sits and plays the game, you know, for hours and hours and hours. He's really good at the game and he uh, fucking just unlocks and reaches the level and he's like, just puts it on the forum saying that I'm selling it for Google Pay account for 15,000 rupees, you know. So, so, for me, it's like transactions are there. It's just that they are happening in places where, again, where we don't have the access to these places because it's run by the community. And that's why I said it's extremely important that you are so in sync with the community because you will not even know about this otherwise, you know. And uh, Garina, again, is a perfect example who has done a fabulous job uh, with this kind of setup because uh, in Southeast Asia, they had their own cafes, they had their own ecosystem. They knew exactly who was buying, where they were buying, how much they were buying. And when you have that kind of data on a consumer and you know exactly that's when you can really like push out you know stuff. Yeah. Uh, we don't have any of that here. You know, it's very hard for us to have that kind of data as well. We depend on reports which pretty much come out. And when I read them, and I'm like, how am I supposed to read this? Agenda-driven like, reports. It's more than I think. It's more than agenda-driven. It's also it's just extremely vague. Hmm. I'm like, 
okay, it's like literally I have to sit down and be like, okay, if A is B and B is C and C is D, then E happens. I'm like, what? Like, how did we come to that? Like, who is this guy? I want to meet this guy. How did we come to this conclusion that because of all these things, this is true? You know? Oh my god, let's not. That'll, that'll be another podcast episode in its entirety, okay? We should look at each page of that report. I'm so sorry to say this, but I hope none of you are from IIM, right? Oh, I wish I was. I am so glad you're not because I keep making fun of them all the time. Oh, yeah, yeah. Every single. Every single person I meet from IIM, right? I want to keep telling them, Bye, to UP on road pe chal, aur tu khud o paan kharid, or whatever you're selling, na, o kharid, or tu mereko bata tera consumer behavior kya hai. Because I don't understand where the hell you're getting this study. Study se. Like I have no fucking idea where they get their research from because it is so far away from reality. And these are the guys who are getting paid shit loads of money to sit and run brands, and I laugh at them. I was like, you will come in the street, then you will kill me. Yeah, I'm like, what the hell, like, you know? Like, I've seen such weird data sometimes. I'm like, there is zero collation to anything. You know? You don't sync with the user at all? Zero, because, I mean, what is it? You have given money, you are studying in IIM, okay? After studying, someone comes to campus, and gives someone a job. After that, I go to the car, and in the cabin, I decide to decide, Sala, how do you buy Pepsi in the ranch? Sala, go to the deep and see what happens. It is a reality. These guys have zero idea of the field work. Whereas in Red Bull, my boss would tell me, I have to close the road. Why are you doing time? Why are you doing this? He would say, come and do it. And then he would be like, no, no, no. I said, you talk to me. When you talk to the tulla, then he is running away from there. He said, no, 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 I am safe. I can't talk to you. For everything else, yeah, for everything else, he'll be different. Oh, I'm from IIM, yes, yeah, let's talk. The minute you have to do the real work, everyone's running around, like, you know. And that's the reality of this country. Like, we are sitting on reports also, which are like, okay, how many gamers were involved in this research? Zero. KPMG, N equal to, that shocked me that they could have actually came out with a report saying, we interviewed some 300 people, like, that's your market? Like, it's not a big enough. Yeah, the entire report was extrapolated from the sample set where N was 300. Oh man. Like, okay, oh man. Some of the FMCG beverage companies that I worked with, sample sizes, okay, if we have a lot of marketing budget this year, we can do 300. Otherwise, we start with 50. I said 50. 50 people. Yeah. Out of, out of those 50 people, 40 people are from the agency only. Yeah. <laughs> jo market is doing it, you say, why are you saying this? Answer, de, answer, de, okay? <laughs> anyway, so I think we deviated. It was a good deviation. I won't say no. But let's get back to talking about money and I'm going to do this. So we're getting back to dhan ki baat. <laughs> If you haven't convinced anyone, I didn't say anything. <laughs> so, so, I think we're still dependent on the players to make money, right? So, we're looking at transactions happening in-game. How far away are we from actually having spectators coming and paying? So, you spoke about, uh, say, 15,000 people tuning into the stream. If you had put a gate and said 10 bucks mm -hmm. or 15 bucks, what kind of attrition would you see? Uh, I would say around 15 to 20% people would pay, for sure. Hmm. So. So, how far away today are you, do you think we are from, say, oh, these kind of games having dedicated spectators where they're actually either you're making money through ticketing yeah. or you're making money through merchandise? See, offline we're very far, very, very far. 
Online, I would say we're not that far. Uh, I would say it's already happening. Players have their own private. Uh, oh yeah. They have their private chats. They have their uh, private subscribers who pay them, uh, so that they get exclusive content from them. So that's already happening from at a player level. Uh, at a game level, uh, we've not reached that production excellence uh, from a broadcast perspective. Also, that somebody would want to pay to watch a live broadcast right now. Uh, I'm sorry, I was watching the PMCO broadcast, and I'm sorry to say this, but it's done by my friend uh, Akshat, who's a lovely, lovely person, and, you know. And uh, it's it's good, it's it's, but it could be better, you know. Uh, compared to the international markets, it could be a lot better. Uh, everything is subject to obviously what budgets they have to to work yeah, with and yeah. stuff and all. Uh, I don't see us making any money offline for the next five years at least. Uh, it's extremely hard. I'm gonna say. Making somebody pay for an e-sport event today, uh, uh, I mean, say DreamHack happened. The data is there. People came. Uh, we sold what around maybe five thousand odd tickets at three hundred rupees. That's what fifteen lakhs, maybe. No, it's a little more. One point five crores. No, how much? Is that? How will that come up to? No, fifteen lakhs. Yeah, it comes up to fifteen lakhs. Yeah, and I mean, say yeah, it's a good number. Is it also a thing of accessibility? Yes, and if it's an online thing, I can always just look at my phone and. It's not that the problem is that it's not a it's not a spectacle, yeah. you know. And even if it's a spectacle, right? It's not something that is curated really well. So this see, there's a lot of it. Then it gets into the event space in India, right? Like, why can't we come up with great events? Yeah. You know, it's a different chat altogether, right? Like the U2 concert that I went to at mm -hmm. at uh, Dy Patel Stadium. It had close to what a hundred thousand people who bought, or sixty-five, seventy, or thousand people who bought tickets. Yeah. It was the most shabby concert I've ever gone to in my life. You know, I paid a lot of money for it. I paid sixteen thousand yeah. rupees for it, yeah. and so did a lot of other people who came there. Right? Yeah. There was the food was horrible. The there were no drinks. The toilets were like overpacked, mm -hmm. and we're talking about an infrastructure like Dy Patel, which is made for a sporting event. Yeah. Even that could not handle. A concert for you too, right? Yep. Now, that's the reality of our events spaces. You know, we don't have community spaces. We don't have stadiums which are maintained really well. And right. it comes to the same part, right? It's expensive today. I need to do an offline esports events. Yeah. I need to fly down my IT guy, find the right IS, ISP supplier, make sure internet fluctuation is not happening. then they'll say, "10 baje ke do." You know, there are 50,000 restrictions that come in. Yeah, yeah, so which it doesn't exist in other other countries. You know, they go to sta indoor stadiums. They go to like a literally like in Taipei, we did an event at a volleyball uh, indoor stadium. It was brilliant. We entered the stadium. They literally said, "This is a production room, yeah. dedicated production room." Uh, had all the broadcast equipment. Had the internet lines. He literally had to just pay the money. Yeah. He internet chalu kar deo. The day we landed, the internet was started. Isa de ki aake wo wire kheech raha hai. Fir wo telephone wire kheech raha hai. You know, nothing of that sort. Same with. Entry exit point, same with ticketing point. Everything was standardized, right? So the cost of doing an event is a lot less, uh, not just from money perspective also, but even from a mental perspective as well. It's just like you can literally put up an event together in three days. In India, we can we still do that. We put up an event in three days, but without any of that. You know? So that's where it just goes like. Well, on the day of the event also, the security guy doesn't know that this is a room, this is a player room, this is a player you can't. The point is the 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 fan today is like yes, as you said, he has so many options. Yeah. He can sit home, watch Netflix. He can order food from Swiggy. He's like, I'm going. 
when I know that my experience is going to be bad, why would I go? Yeah. You know, uh, music probably is the only place where I've seen that people are still willing to go. I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, they can they can smoke even drugs, no? I I think I think the yeah I think yeah, I think the fact that they can drink yeah. is a huge factor for sure. Uh, because uh, and this is why I keep telling everyone, right? Music is for me the worst platform to market because I'm like after a point, the consumer doesn't care whether he's drinking a Budweiser or drinking a Corona. Yeah, you know, it's like I've seen that so many times. I said, oh, it's sponsored by Budweiser. Budweiser khatam ho gaya. Wohte bhai Kingfisher dene chalega. Like gone, loyalty out of the window in, in a matter of, matter of half an hour. But is it aren't companies like Nordwin doing extremely well from so? See, Nordwin's doing really well. I, I, as I said, Nordwin's a very niche when it comes to, uh, you know, they have great relationships with the publishers. Okay. Uh, and again, as I said, right, the ecosystem today needs the international publishers to have trust in the Indian player. And that's what Akshat has been working on for the last few years, where uh, Nordwin's been going at this at the last 10 years when nobody believed in this, right? Yeah. So he has that 10 years of heads up that no other organizer has today in terms of the belief that the international publishers have in his company and in him as an individual, right? That's extremely important because when they are licensing out a game or when they are licensing out an IP to an Indian player today, they need to make sure that boss, he might not be able to do great things with it, but he should not mess it up. Right. And that's why you see big events like DreamHack coming here, ESL1 came here. Yeah. The ESL Premiership is continuing right now. Uh, he's obviously now currently working uh, with Tencent on PUBG. Uh, the PUBG Mobile Pro League as well, you know. So, I think that's where he's got it right. I think he realized it very, very early in his in his uh, journey in eSport that it's the Indian problems will always be the Indian problems. The first major hurdle was to make the international publishers believe in India, which he's pretty much done the work for everyone. So today now you could be an organizer and you can go to a publisher and be like, boss. I am exactly like what Nordwin does. Uh, I can do it for cheaper or I can do it like this, like this, like this. And the publisher might still work with you. And that's already happened with two, three other players. The reality is that that relationship management with that publisher is so crucial. Because if he does have a bad experience with you once, you know, you're, you're not only messing it up for yourself, yeah. you're also messing it up for the entire country in a way. You know, And I think that's where Nordwin has made sure that uh, they have not done it in a way where at least the publishers have been always happy. Now they know exactly that the game has been treated well, the community has been treated well. Uh, they have not been, uh, there have been issues, but there have not been issues like ki price money mila nahi, you know, ki follow up hua, but you know, I, I, I had to run behind somebody for my prize money, or uh, the sponsors' deliverables have not been done. So these are some of the things that happened in the past where the publishers lose the trust. They're like, boss, you have tournament, karaya, you said one crore prize pool, dega, yeah. and then eventually you're only giving 10 lakhs. Yeah. So these kind of things didn't happen, uh, which could have been really bad for the, for the, for the, for the country. Now, again, for both of you guys, uh, so far we've had private companies leading the change, right? And uh, what do we need to do to get the government involved where policies are being changed. I mean, we've seen this in traditional sports as well, right? Where uh, because of policies, I can give you the example of football, right? Because of the policies, the archaic policies that we've always had, the games never picked up. We've tried having uh, FSDL come in and try sprucing up the game, but it's not really giving us results on the international stage. So what needs to change today so that the government gets involved and you have public policies being driven? 
I'll add on to that. Do we even want the government to come in? Seeing its experience, having experienced the government's behavior firsthand with a lot of different sports. Well, it you know the government always helps because government comes with its own set of stuff like space, uh, you know, uh, infrastructure. Uh, in Indian case, it does not. But yeah. Uh, <laughs> You know, any 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 country that I've seen where the government's been involved with esports aggressively has definitely benefited, because what it does is it kind of streamlines or at least gives that that tick mark uh, for a lot of other social economic issues that people face with esports. For example, in Philippines, uh, the prime minister is like gungo about uh, you know he he pretty much was the guy behind making sure that for the Sea Games. Uh, that esports was a huge part of it, you know. Uh, same with Singapore, same with Malaysia, same with Korea. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, government, for all the right reasons, uh, uh, being a part and promoting this is extremely important. But again, if you look at these markets, so if you look at Philippines, Vietnam, Indonesia, uh, Taiwan, uh, even China or Korea, uh, electronics is a huge market yeah. for these guys. Uh, it's a huge industry. Yeah. They need to be in the forefront as the pioneers and the uh, how do I put it? Like they need to be looked as a very progressive market, uh, especially from a technology perspective. Uh, Taiwan means Intel has the biggest center in Taiwan, uh, you know. And uh, so we, if you want the government to be supportive, while we are also the IT hub. It's kind of shameful that uh, we can't even get our internet sorted out in this country oh, yet. Oh, you know? yes. So, we have all the required marketing side for India. So, we could go and be like, oh, we are the best tech hub in the world. We have this, this, this. We have Infosys and we have this and we have that. The reality is that for a government to support, what can they really offer us? Hmm. They, can't offer, they can't offer us great internet because, yeah. I mean, say, their own websites crash all yeah. the time. Yeah. They can't afford to give us any infrastructure because they don't have infrastructure even for the basic Olympic sports. Sure. So imagine today going and asking a Sai, I give me a stadium to build e-sports stadium. He'll be like, yeah. <laughs> Matlab, either Kabaddi wala is practicing on the normal, oh, you know, yeah. Yeah. Rahe ho, tumko stadium chahiye, you know. So they can't afford us, they can't give us money. Like they don't have funds to give us money. So they do have funds and don't want to give it maybe? No, they, I think generally they don't have funds. I know I, I am a very pro Modi guy like that, you know. I think any government that comes in power will always be poor. Because we are so many of us. That's true, the reality. True. You know, we, we can blame any government that it it's very easy to sit and say, Are government is Galat Kara Ekara. We are looking at one point three billion people, man. And out of which only 100 billion can actually afford to buy anything. Yeah, which means we have 900 people leeching, you know, we have over a billion people leeching onto 100 million people, <laughs> you know. Oh, yeah. No one's going to be happy. So, no one <laughs> and is happy. Yeah, that's the reality. Like, you pay tax, I pay tax. Yeah. You know, our taxpayers' money is pretty much running this country. Yeah. But it's still not, it's not efficient because yeah. it can't be. Yeah. You know, 100 million people cannot look after 900. It's like, it's, the ratio is 1 is to 9. It's impossible. You can't do that, you know. Uh, like you cannot have a family of nine people that you look after. <laughs> <laughs> Not everybody can be Lalu Prasad Yadav. Can they? <laughs> so I'm worried for your life. <laughs> <laughs> look, Karan, the same thing now. Say, um, what we were just talking about? Fuck, I forgot. What were we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> I'm almost scared for my life. I am scared for my life, right? So yeah, thank you, man. <laughs> So, 
do you see policies affecting the hyper casual gaming market are they are they constricting you from growing possibly no they don't honest. they don't right but uh, the real money gaming market yeah hmm. it's not a regulated market to so you guys are also giving out money on basis of the performance right so is that is that constricted by any policy right now uh, at the moment it's not it's not hmm. a regulated market and, hmm. uh, that is why it is a gray area hmm. um, there are organizations being formed to sort hmm. of internally regulate True. within the market hmm. but uh, there is no hand of the government as yet not this. yet so, not yet so like with dream 11 if someone files a pil hmm. Just that could be start a mutual fund and invest in <laughs> mutual fund and invest in gaming. That would be the best mutual fund ever. Do so, so you think we've all heard this being thrown around that betting might get legalized, right, in India? Yes, sir. Dude, they've been saying it for mutual like. Mutual fund is not the market. Does that help you guys though? If betting is made legal, what larger implications does it have for the gaming industry in general? I mean, it, uh, for me personally, it doesn't help me because hmm. I would not get into games then which hmm. do not involve skill anyway and are based. Hmm. I would not like, just ethically, I wouldn't. Hmm. Uh, but in general, yeah, it could help the gaming market as long as it's hmm. being done responsibly. I mean, because hmm. I personally think betting shouldn't be legalized. Huh. Yeah. Interesting take. Because, Why do you say that? Because there are. people who can just absolutely lose it and can be extremely irresponsible with it especially because we do not uh, in many parts of the country have uh, exposure hmm and uh, people can sort of really let go and go down a very dark path so i don't think betting should be okay, it's a part of our mythology man betting and gambling we've grown up with those stories <laughs> <Stay> like that <laughs> have you had a bad experience at vegas <laughs> uh, i have yeah. oh you have yeah, I I never understood this question actually. Like, should betting be legalized? Like, I would try to figure out. So, if it gets legalized, how is it going to be any different? Apart from the fact that okay, fine, some monies will come in as tax into the government. You know, everything else stays the same. Well, the consumer has enough avenues to go yeah. die in general, right? So, yeah, this is just giving him one more option. Yeah, but when you make it more accessible, like, there's so much black market. It does, right? It does. So, yeah. would wouldn't the government then, I mean, benefit by legalizing it and earning tax on it? Um, but would I mean, in the long run, the people mm. of the country mm. will suffer because mm. if you're making betting so accessible, currently mm. it's under the table. You know, it's just mm. difficult to do it. Currently. Yeah, true, true. I mean, it's very difficult. It's not that I've not tried. It's very difficult to get the bookies number, man. <laughs> exactly. Mm. We're gonna need a different host for the next podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Very interesting take, though, man. In fact, I think that was an amazing chat, man. I mean, it went longer than we hoped it would. Oh yeah, oh, yeah man. So yeah, you guys, you, uh, you guys are in the semi-finals, right? The oh yeah. <laughs> And we sh- we stopped right at six, right oh, in time wow. for your game. Yes. See, we're good people that way, man. We <laughs> had to reach by six. Well, it's an online streaming, right? So his team's in the semi-finals, and we all hope you win. And then you take us to the international <laughs> finals as well. Perfect. Thank you so much, guys, for coming in. It was amazing, man. Amazing. Thank you. So yes.